Welcome to the Kojo Namdi Show's Tech Tuesday, keeping you on the cutting edge of the tech revolution from WAMU 88.5 FM in Washington. From WAMU at American University in Washington, welcome to the Kojo Namdi Show. It's Tech Tuesday. There's a reason why some people are obsessed with their Blackberries. They speed up the pace of business and ensure constant access to your email. But one day, your Blackberry may no longer work. The firm behind the product is in a legal battle with an Arlington company that holds the patent on its technology. And yesterday, the Supreme Court refused to get involved. It's a dramatic example of a trend that some say is hurting software innovation. Patent challenges are increasingly common, and they don't just affect large software companies. They may also make life more difficult for the tech department in your company. But supporters of patents say they're still the best protection for inventors and their work. It's our conversation this Tech Tuesday Software Patents and the Law, and in our studio is Ben Clemens, guest scholar at the Brookings Institution Center on Social and Economic Dynamics, also author of the book Math You Can't Use, Patents, Copyright, and Software. Ben Clemens, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kojo. It's good to be here. Most of us think of patenting as a way to protect the genius inventor working in his basement or in his garage. But you argue that patents actually hurt innovation when it comes to software. Why? Well, there, there, there are two problems with, with applying the existing patent regimes to, uh, to, to software uh, the the first the, the first is very broad that we're we're taking basically a system that was invented for physical devices and we're applying it to 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 new fields of all sorts we're applying it to not just software but to business methods to to storylines to uh you know survey questions furniture arrangement what have you and then the second problem is is about working out what is an obvious invention and uh, i guess i'll get to that a little more later on um let, let, to answer your question, let, let me give you a, an example of sort of the best case. Sure. The, the, the happy face case, <laughs> which is uh, pharmaceuticals. And so, some people think that pharmace- the pharmaceutical monopoly is a little much or could use some tweaking. But basically, it's a good example of, of where patents work best. It costs millions of dollars to put together a new, new innovation. And uh, w- once the chemical formula is written down, it's very easy for a competitor to, to simply pick that up. Okay. Right. Um, so we need some way of protecting the uh, millions of dollars that went into developing this in the first place. Sure. Now, um, one of the key presumptions that goes into a patent, w- w- once Eli Lilly has a patent on, uh, on Prozac or what have you, uh, one of the key presumptions is that if somebody else comes out with something that looks like Prozac, then they imitated Eli Lilly. They didn't mm-hmm. independently invent this. And for drugs, this makes sense. There are only a couple of drug companies in the world, and uh, they're all watching each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all have a legal department that's reading every patent and every patent application that comes out. Right? So, so the, the, this is sort of the best case. When, when, when uh, I don't know. Worst case, software code? Uh, yes, the, the worst case. <laughs> the, the worst case software is um, all, of, all of the little bits of happy faces there before they all break. So first, we, when we go, let's say two people write down uh, a web page, two separate web pages that look somewhat similar, mm-hmm. right? So the, the first has a patent, takes the second to court and says, you know, uh, you, you imitated my web page. So in, in, in the first place, uh, the, the sec- let's say the second person wants to say, no, I independently invented this. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for pharmaceuticals, this would be absurd. For f- to say that two websites are similar, only it's only possible because one imitated the other is, is, is somewhat far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a company called Netcraft surveys the web. They counted 75 million web pages, uh, websites, 75 million websites last month. Um, to say that once somebody has written down a, a new design for a web page, to say that all of those other 75 million couldn't possibly have invented something like that is 
It's a bit much. And if there's 75 million web pages, then there's an even larger number of people than that around the world who are sitting around writing software code, is what we're saying? Yeah, yeah. So so we've gone from a, a small centralized industry of, you know, a, a couple of players to, to literally millions of people. And many of those people aren't even in what we call the software industry. Uh, here at the radio station, there, there are guys working on software all day mm. long, right? Um, and, you know, wherever you are, over in Radioland, you probably have somebody in the building working on software. Most of the people who sat through calculus in high school were not aware that an algorithm was something that at some point you might be able to make money on, but you point out that we can now patent those math algorithms that are the basis for today's software. Is there a typical, if you will, software patent? Um, Let's see, a typical software patent. Uh, I guess it... How about pop-ups? I read where somebody actually has a Patent. Oh, yes. 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 It's it's a uh, system for traffic control. That, that's <laughs> that's the title of the patent. And uh, yeah, basically, it's a, if you look at the patent, it's it's a flowchart. <laughs> it says you know st- start here, and then if the user does this, we'll, we'll do that. Um, and uh, I I don't want to say there's a typical piece of a uh, type of patent because there are just so many types of of software out there. Um, so yeah, you get things things on a large scale like pop-ups. On the lower scale, uh, l- let me read you some patent titles. A uh, cosine algorithm for relatively small angles and a method and system for solving linear systems. Um, and that's, that's where the title Math You Can't Use came from, that you can actually patent a mathematical algorithm at this point. How should we define software? Is it just pure mathematics or... Is there another element? Is it something else? How how does this definition impact how we patent software? Well, to to define it, I I hope you don't mind if I'm a little circuitous about this. But let me tell you a bit about the history of how we how we came to a point when we could patent a, a furniture arrangement or a design. Mm-hmm. Now, back in the day, you could only patent actual physical objects, mm-hmm. things basically things you could hold in your hand or a process. That, manipulating physical objects. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a couple of people, uh, some folks tried to patent uh, algorithms, and the court said no. Um, the Supreme Court, in a couple of rulings, got a shock v. Benson being sort of the first and foremost, said, you, you know, the, this is not what patenting was about. And then so, so some others Because came tomorrow along. another person may come up with this exact same algorithm by independent means, and it can be so yeah. widespread that there's no point patenting it. Yeah. And on top of that, there's sort of this ethical belief that mathematics should be in the public domain. Um, so so it, some other guys came by, and, and they said, you know, no, no, let's be smarter about this. We are going to patent a computer, a physical object, on which is encoded, on which is encoded a cosine algorithm for relatively small angles. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the original design was not a cosine algorithm, but 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 this went to court for a, a, an oscilloscope screen, and the the court said, you know, I guess so. It's a physical device. It's useful. It's uh, you know basically non-obvious. Sure. It's a new machine. It's a new machine, right? So so at this so by this interpretation of the law, when you uh when you when you open up your web browser and you you go to uh, I don't know house.gov or amnesty.org, you are sitting there and inventing a new machine. Ben Clemens is guest scholar at the Brookings Institution Center on Social and Economic Dynamics. He's also author of the book, Math You Can't Use, Patents, Copyrights, and Software. He joins us for this Tech Tuesday conversation on software, patents, and the law. If you have questions or comments, you can call us, 800-433-8850. Do you think that software should be patented? 800-433-8850. You can send email to kojo at wamu.org. You are a computer programmer. So how are your colleagues in computer programming responding to this trend? Is, are they seeing patenting as a way for them to make extra cash, or is it just a hassle? Uh, well, for a lot of folks, it's just a hassle. I, I have a friend who, who just got back from working at Microsoft. Uh, I, I've, I've been to the Microsoft campus myself, and I don't know, in these circles, every, all roads wind up there. And, uh, and it, he tells me he just got a patent. Uh, and I ask him, so so what's it for? And he's like, I don't know. Is this this, <laughs> this thing? But Microsoft gives me a thousand bucks for it, for every patent. So so he's delighted. So it, that he can just make a lot of extra money. Yeah. So Microsoft has you know people working full time on making sure that everything that every, every time somebody rubs two brain cells together at Microsoft, there, there's a patent being written. 
How much is software innovation based on previous work by other programmers? Are there some cases where you absolutely have to use a line of code that was probably patented by somebody else, whether you know it or not? Well, it's... at this point, I would say it's impossible to write software that is not somehow infringing somebody's somebody's <laughs> oh, patents. Um, yeah, y- y- but you have you have an interesting anecdote about your brother and the difficulties he, difficulties he had using his Linux computer. And we've talked about Linux yeah. here on TechStuzy a lot. It's, it's open source. But go ahead. Yeah. So so um, yeah, it, yeah. The, 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 this is not. Yeah, th- this is a problem that all Linux users face, and uh, I'm I'm my brother's tech support. So, you, you know, he calls me up. He says, you know, I want to I want to you know, I, I want to use my computer as a media computer. I want to watch QuickTime movies. I want to listen to MP3s, and and he can't. And the reason is that MP3s are the format MP3 format is patented by the Fraunhofer Institute. Uh, and so for for every uh every copy of iTunes you have uh 75 cents went went to Fraunhofer um mm. and so for for people who are using open source software folks who are trying to say you know we want to put this out to the world use it how you want um they, there's no way for them to collect even a, a cent of royalties. Indeed, the Linux so, operating system, in a way, is a re- rebellion against the the phenomenon that we're discussing today, isn't it? And uh, well, it wants to be, <laughs> but but it's you're, you're stuck because if uh, in sort of an ideal world, it would be great if if Microsoft can have its patents and Linux doesn't care and life is good. But independent invention is not a valid defense. So once one guy in the industry has patents. Everyone has to pay attention. Linux, uh, uh, one consulting company that, that sells liability insurance, so they probably rounded up. They counted about 240 potential patent violations in the Linux kernel. And that's just the kernel. And then you, you add software on top of that, and each of those is going to be you know, some other set of potential violations. So there may be lawsuits and lawsuits and lawsuits and lawsuits down yes. the road someplace. Um, I understand that for some computer programmers, it's a kind of hobby to try to find the worst software patents out there. Can you give us a few examples, in your opinion? Oh, gosh, they're, they're all so bad. I, I don't know how to, how to choose. Um, I, I, I give some examples in the book. For example, the uh, Microsoft wants to patent the format of its word processor documents. And uh, the, the, the intent here is clear, so, so that if, you're, um, if you want to make something that interoperates with Word, uh, if if you want, um, yeah. If, if if you want if you want your your office to not buy a copy of Word but to use Open Office, for example, mm-hmm. um, you can't. <laughs> They'll sue you. And um, so you look at the the patent itself, and and it's the the most vague thing you've ever seen. There there's a flowchart, and and at the head of flowchart it says start, and then it says open document question mark. <laughs> And then under that it says yes, parse document question mark, uh, and there's no information there. There's just nothing. It, it, basically, the patent says we have an XML format and uh, it's ours. And that's the end of that. We're yeah. going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll con- continue this Tech Tuesday conversation with Ben Clemens on software patents and the law. He's guest scholar at the Brookings Institution Center on Social and Economic Dynamics. If you've already called us, stay on the line. We'll get to your call. If not, we still have a couple of lines open, 800-433-8850. Or if the lines are tied up, you can send email to kojo at wamu.org. I'm Kojo Namdi. This is WAMU's Community Minute, recognizing Black History Month. The Reginald F. Lewis Museum of Maryland African American History and Culture presents a workshop designed to help students learn how to research their own family and community history. In Newport News, Virginia, the Virginia War Museum presents the African American Film Festival, showcasing great films such as Buffalo Soldiers, Glory, and Men of Honor, 
through February 25th. Mount Vernon will honor the slaves who lived and worked at George Washington's estate with a daily 12 p.m. wreath laying at the Slave Memorial throughout the month of February. And you can bring the entire family to the Anacostia Museum and Center for African American History and Culture. The museum is open daily from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The National Archives celebrates Black History Month with the film The Road to Freedom, which is part of the series of free films and lectures through February 28th. For more information, visit our website, wamu.org. Click on the link that says Calendar. Support for WAMU is provided by the Chesapeake Bay Trust, a nonprofit grant maker funding projects that restore the bay. The trust is funded by the Chesapeake Bay Fund, line 37 on the Maryland state tax return. Information at chesapeakebaytrust.org. It's currently 46 degrees in northwest Washington. Our forecast for this afternoon, partly cloudy skies. High temperatures expected to remain in the upper 40s. And now at 1222, we return to the Kojo Namdi Show here on WAMU 88.5 FM. Welcome back to our conversation on Tech Tuesday, Software Patents and the Law. We're talking with Ben Clemens. He is guest scholar at the Brookings Institution Center on Social and Economic Dynamics and author of the book, Math You Can't Use, Patents, Copyrights, and Software. We take your telephone calls at 800-433-8850. We'll be getting to the phone shortly. But you began a discussion about patents and physical versus non-physical devices, which we never ended. So, so yeah, I, I think the, the point we were was this sort of physical trick where people said, okay, well, let's let's have... Let's bind together a, a, a new algorithm, so some piece of information or a design, with a totally trivial physical step. And uh, the, the courts debated this for a while and decided, yeah, that's okay. And this, this has been sort of the, the door opening to all of these things like, you know, patents on storylines and on furniture arrangements and so on and so forth. And uh, to, it's a little frustrating because the history up to that date said that you know you can find cases all through history that said you know no this is not this is not sufficient if you had just add a bell and whistle to a to a design then that doesn't get us anywhere and you you had asked uh, how does how does one define software and th- this is sort of how i would define it it's something where the actual s- physical step is is trivial such as just loading it onto a uh, general purpose computer and uh yeah, one day the courts just decided, yeah, that trivial step, that, that's fine. <laughs> um, so so is, is this, in your view, essentially putting a patent on ideas? To a great extent, yes, it is. And it, it, I, let me clarify a little point that, that people get wrong on patents all day long. Patents are not for ideas. Um, pe- people say this all patents. I want to patent my idea, and so on and so forth. And colloquially, that's fine. But under the law, that's not the case. And you you can find dozens of court rulings that say, you know, it, it is granted that a patent is not for an idea. It's for a design. It's for a specific uh, implementation of 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 some idea in in metal or cement or what have you. Um, and so it, historically, it's been very easy to make this distinction or. I wouldn't say very easy, but but attempts have been made. Attempts have been made to say, well, okay, you you can have this design, but the the breadth of the patent doesn't go beyond that. But with software, that's that's basically impossible to do because you can't distinguish the design from from its actual implementation because the implementation was trivial. Uh, in fact, to go further, you, you know, I mentioned that all of these these patents they're just flowcharts. There's no actual information. Uh, about how this is done, and this is this is bec- this is a, there's a, an actual reason for this. This is not just the PTO being the Patent and Trademark Office being lazy. Um, in Northern Telecom v. Datapoint, there was a, a court ruling that said, you know, the actual process of converting uh, an algorithm, an English description of what you want your software to do, into actual code is trivial. Uh, to, dis- explaining this to a uh, software engineer would be like telling a mechanic, "Let me tell you how to use a screwdriver." <laughs> um, so even the courts have said, you know, th- no, there, there's nothing beyond the design. Got to get to the phones in a second, but That's... all of this is what leads you to the conclusion that you believe that software code would be better as copyright than as patent. Yes, um, and and so, sort of the key distinction between copyright and patents is uh, is that copyright 
in copyright, independent invention is a valid defense against claims of infringement. So if the guys at Microsoft patent a, a you know a format of, of some sort, and then so so some guy in the basement you know uh, back home sits down and works out bangs out what this uh, what this algorithm does, that's okay, and um, yeah, that 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 that. That eliminates all of these problems we had before where, you know, the guys at NTP wrote down some idea 15 years ago, and now the guys at BlackBerry entirely independently. I, I assure you, nobody at BlackBerry looked at these uh, these patents. You know, they, they implemented what was obvious to them, and it would not be a legal problem under a regime where code is copyrighted. And I got to tell you, as of yesterday's decision by the Supreme Court not to look at this case, CNN is reporting today. Headline says, BlackBerry blackout could be costly. BlackBerry maker research in motion facing a possible shutdown of its sales and service, an outcome that could paralyze U.S. businesses and cost them dearly after the setback dealt by the Supreme Court, that Research in Motion now faces a possible injunction that could result in service disruption, disruptions to its more than 4 million users. However, BlackBerry is still trying to find a way to get around that. That's yes. my understanding. So, so can I tell you about one more interesting thing about the BlackBerry uh, case? You have the floor. Um, Thank you. Um, the the actual software, the 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 uh, the software that's infringing this patent, is in Canada. So so the data you you write your email, it goes to a server in Canada. That server does what is evidently a patented process here in the U.S. sends data back to your uh, BlackBerry here. Um, so the, the the courts rule that if control and beneficial use. Of a, of a device is here in the States, then that device is beholden to U.S. patent law. So that means when you access a website in, a, in France, in, in Bahrain, they need to comply to U.S. patent law, which, which is kind of amazing. It is, and, indeed. And further, th th this is clearly something that can only happen with these inventions and sort of ideas. Uh, okay, let's go to the phone, starting with John in Fairfax, Virginia. John, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, John. Are you there? John, I can't hear you. Last chance, John. I'm going to put you back on hold and go instead to Peter, who is in Washington, D.C. Peter, it's your turn. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. I just had a quick question as to whether or not certain things aren't, certain pieces of software aren't analogous to physical devices. Like, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't a compression algorithm or an encryption algorithm be like a tool that you would use, which would be patentable if it was a physical device? You know, sure. If it were a physical device, then yeah, per perhaps it would be patentable. But um, that uh, that's not necessarily the the metaphor that we want to make because um, it's it's not it's not in. Uh, let me answer this by reading to you from the Constitution. Uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8 says, The Congress shall have the power to promote the progress of science and the useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their expected writings and discoveries. So the way the, con the Constitution is written and Congress's power is not in terms of giving people rights to a certain class of invention or a certain, you know, the, the fruits of some certain means of discovery, but to promote the progress of science and the useful arts. And so we need to ask not just, you know, is the process of, of using this or the process of coming up with it analogous, but also what, what are the overall economic effects? And um, I, th I think it's clearly obvious that there is a distinction between how we use software, where everybody on Earth has the, can have a piece of software simultaneously. It you know, can be copied uh, instantaneously. It can be independently invented by literally millions of people. And a tool where... There's, you know, a process of putting it together. There's a design process and then a, a, a second step where you take that design and make it into a non-trivial physical object, which, you know, will probably break the first 15 times you put it together. Finally, it'll work, but not that well. And eventually, you know, it, it does what you want it to. Peter, Peter, thank you for your call. We got an email from Randy in Montrose, Virginia, who writes, What is wrong with the patent office? I called your attention to one U.S. patent. Space vehicle propelled by the pressure of inflationary <laughs> vacuum state awarded to Boris Volson in 1st November 2005. It's a warp drive, guys, totally non-physical and entirely imaginary. I am not making this up. I have a copy of the patent. True, huh? It, 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 
it's kind of silly, I have to admit. And and further, I, I think that patent will hold. Uh, the, 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 I think the USPTO correctly granted that patent. And here's why. Because it's um, it's not in the literature. Uh, no, nobody has... Uh, Nobody wrote that one down before. Um, so, in the past, in the past, before, yeah, I won't give a date, but in the past, there was a sort of a you know long series of conditions under which a patent can be can or can't be granted. One of them being, by the way, that you had to uh, be in possession of the invention at the time. Um, but a long series of court rulings have sort of weakened all of these conditions, and at this point. All you really need in order to get a patent is to prove that it wasn't in the literature before. And uh, th this gets back to the obviousness problem, which maybe, maybe I can talk more about later. Okay, um, let's go to Cecile in Falls Church, Virginia. Cecile, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my concern, I'm listening to this, and I'm just astounded at the sheer stupidity that's going on here. <laughs> And especially when our U.S. lawmakers are always saying, oh, American ingenuity, innovation, this is what's going to drive our economy. Well, it sounds to me like, from what your uh, guest was describing, we are, in fact, um, just crushing the innovation under our heels when you can't do things like uh, create a different software package that looks like Word. I mean, desktop publish, uh, word processing is word processing. You have to have capitalization and punctu punctuation, et cetera. Yeah. That's like patenting how you speak English. I mean, it just seems ridiculously insane. And what could I do as a citizen uh, to, you know, do I have to contact lawmakers, et cetera, to try to get some attention to this to say, this is stupid, can we change the laws? And I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. Thank you very much, Cecile. So, yeah, politically, this is a huge problem, and it's a classic problem. It's the collective action problem that, that, that you know, you learned about in Political Science 101. Uh, the, the, the parties that most stand to, to profit from patents are those that basically large companies engaged in, the, in, in tech industries. Um, IBM makes approximately a billion dollars a year off of its uh, hardware and software patents. Um, Microsoft, they, they do okay as well. Um, and I, I don't want to, you know, demonize certain companies or what have you. But but the point is that these these guys are very focused. There's, you know, they have a legal team. They they have they have lobbyists. Do they file a lot of what you describe in your book as submarine patents? What are those, and why are they important? Oh, the the submarine patent. Um, let, let me just finish the, this little thought here. That that the, the problem. Meanwhile, the the. the the, the the loss that 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 people suffer from uh, from these software patents is massively decentralized. Basically, it's you know a couple of nickels out of everybody's pockets, and uh, you know the open source uh, open source software doesn't necessarily have a couple of centralized locales lobbying. So it's the classic uh, collective action problem where you've got decentralized loss and centralized gain, and that's why people are uh, people on the hill are not talking about this subject matter problem. The submarine patents are. Uh, they're, they're often a, they're, yeah, sure. They're, they're often a situation uh, where you have what are called patent trolls. This is a <laughs> related issue where you've got these guys who say, you know, independent invention is not a valid defense. There are millions of independent inventors. inventors. I can sue anyone I want to. This is awesome. This is the best business method I could imagine, right? So what they do is they, they go out and they, they find somebody who has a patent that's basically been lost in the literature. And the most famous case is a company called Acacia Technologies. And they, they, they dug up from the archives a patent on basically uh, multimedia. On uh, the, 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 the gist of the patent is one side encodes an image, <laughs> sends it over a wire, and the other side receives it. And okay. if you read the patent, that's that's as much detail as you're getting. And so they, they bought this thing up from the, the current owners. And then they said, hey, everybody, surprise, <laughs> we've got a patent on your system. And they started suing every – they sued uh, pretty much every digital cable company in, in the system. Uh, they, they've also started suing pornographers because pornographers set good precedent because nobody wants to rule for a pornographer. That's right. Um, they're they're all engaged in a multi online multimedia, right? And so once you and you know many of them are small vendors who can't afford to defend themselves. So you sue a couple of pornographers. You get you get precedent saying you know my my patent is valid. And then you go after Disney. You go after the big guys. 
Ben Clemens is guest scholar at the Brookings Institution Center on Social and Economic Dynamics. He's also author of the book, Matthew Can't Use, Patents, Copyright, and Software. He joins us in the studio. Joining us now by telephone is Emery Simon, counselor with the Business Software Alliance. Emery Simon, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Kojo. The Business Software Alliance is the trade group that represents many large software firms. What is your take to start on submarine patents? Are they a major threat to the industry? I guess what you mean by submarine patents is uh, people kind of holding on to their patents and coming up, showing up late in time uh, once products are on the market and trying to, uh, to assert those patents in a way that disrupts the marketplace. Sure, that's a problem. But, you know, that's just a function of the fact that in every system there are people who abuse it, and um, there are, uh, that doesn't mean that the patent system has a role overall. Indeed, I know that you disagree with Ben on the role of patents for the software industry. In your view, why are patents necessary for software firms? The, the, per se, the patents are, are, are simply a form of intellectual property, and whether that, as Ben argues, it should be copyrighted. Software is copyrighted. Software is also patentable. The intellectual property provides a basis on which a business can make an investment. It provides a level of uh, certainty uh, in an otherwise risky world. Uh, that is the basic reason why we have intellectual property systems. That's why every technology company is built on some kind of intellectual property. Allow me to go to the telephone. Here's Neil in Silver Spring, Maryland. Neil, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah, hi, Kojo. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's interesting. This fellow from the Business Software Alliance uh, popped up on the phone. Uh, no, he didn't uh, pop up. He's an invited guest. We invited okay. him earlier. Okay. Well, then, then, uh, and my, I'm a small independent inventor. Uh, we have a patent application before the USPTO. Uh, it, it's a business uh, process uh, patent. Uh, we've designed a process which we believe can save uh, a financial sector, uh, the real estate industry, uh, uh, literally billions of dollars to automate uh, the real estate sale, mortgage, and settlement process. And uh, by cutting out, uh, well, by automating this process, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Supreme Court uh, validated uh, process patents uh, back uh, about six or seven years ago in something called State Street versus Fidelity, uh, saying that a a process, if it produces a tangible and uh, concrete uh, result, is a uh, is a is patentable. And uh, 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 the uh, implications uh, uh, are enormous uh, for. Uh, protecting the American uh, ingenuity, if you will. Most inventions in this country are uh, created by small uh, inventors, uh, not the IBMs. Or so the, is the process that you're describing comparable to software code, or is it software code? Well, it, it's a process that's performed by software code. Uh, and that uh, took us about three or, well, about three or four years to... Uh, create this process in a concept and then to design it and then to uh, file a patent application. And we think that we can bring a, a huge amount of, of savings uh, to just this one industry by automating this process. Well, now, uh, now, that, now, now the, uh, I have a feeling that I don't know how uh, these gentlemen... Uh, uh, I'm about uh, to ask them. Okay, we're, <laughs> we're, we're invented, I mean, we're uh, invited to... Uh, to participate on your program, but there is a uh, uh, there is a disastrous uh, 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 bill before the House of Representatives called HR twenty seven ninety five. They call it the Patent Reform Act of two thousand five. Uh, it probably should be called the Patent Deform Act of two thousand and five. It eviscerates uh, or uh, waters down. Uh, uh, patent uh, law so that these big companies can use new ideas and not have to pay for them would allow foreign countries like the Chinese uh, or, or, or uh, foreign countries 
to take American ingenuity and, and virtually pay nothing for it. Well, you've raised a very important issue, Neil, and I'd like to have both of our panelists respond to it. But first, we've got to take a short break. So if you'll stay on the line, and if you, Emery Simon, and you, Ben Clemens, will just hold on, we'll get right back to it. It's a Tech Tuesday conversation on software patents and the law. I'm Kojo Nandi. Coming up at one, why the curtains remain closed at the Washington Ballet, an update on the labor dispute, plus how a standoff at the African Union could signal political change on the continent. Today at one on the Kojo Nandi Show on WAMU 88.5 FM. And then at 2 o'clock on Talk of the Nation here on WAMU, the White House is organizing a series of public events this week to explain why it says domestic wiretapping is necessary in the fight against terrorism. The arguments for and against government eavesdropping on American citizens, that's Talk of the Nation at 2 o'clock here on WAMU 88.5 FM. And then at 3 on the world, 16,000 U.S. soldiers who served in Iraq and Afghanistan are in treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. Many suffer from nightmares and flashbacks. The Veterans Administration says more troops could be at risk as fighting goes on. We'll examine efforts to treat returning soldiers for PTSD and the growing concern that some may not be getting help. That story, plus today's news from around the globe, coming up on The World at 3 o'clock, here on WAMU 88.5 FM. Support for WAMU comes from the Kennedy Center, presenting Protégés, the International Ballet Academy Festival, featuring young dancers from six ballet schools from around the world. January 26th through the 29th, tickets at 202-467-4600 or online at kennedy-center.org. It's currently 47 degrees in northwest Washington as we return now to the Kojo Namdi Show here on WAMU 88.5 FM. It's 1243. Welcome back. It's a Tech Tuesday conversation on software patents and the law. We're talking with Emery Simon, counselor with the Business Software Alliance, and Ben Clemens, guest scholar at the Brookings Institution Center on Social and Economic Dynamics. When we took that break, we were talking with Neil in Silver Spring, who explained the process that his company has developed, says the company spent years on it, and Emery Simon says it is deserving of a patent. Do you agree? Well, uh, just uh, I think Neil is a great example of the of the kind of person the patent system is designed to um, motivate to invest time, energy, and effort to try to come up with something really good that helps all of us. I think uh, the fact that it's a method that relies on software does not make it any more or less patentable than if it was a chair or if it was an airplane. I think a lot of Ben's uh, Ben's points really rely on the fact that it's not always easy for the Patent and Trademark Office to figure out what deserves and what doesn't deserve a patent and mistakes are made. There are tens and tens of thousands of patents that are issued, and if one highlights the places where mistakes have been made, one loses track of the fact that a lot of very legitimate, worthwhile inventions are being created out there that people are, um, are, are spending a lot of time and energy in producing. Do you share Neil's disdain for the Patent Reform Act of 2005? Well, I, I'm not quite sure what Neil is focusing on. The Patent Reform Act really is, is three separate pieces. So the, the first part of it is uh, a series of changes that would make it easier and better for the, or, or that would improve the quality of the patents of the PTO grants by enabling uh, those examiners to look at all of the information that is out there, letting people submit information to, uh, to the examiner to make sure that they are making the right decisions. The second part of it is harmonizing U.S. law with international law. The U.S. law is a little quirky and is out of step with the laws of uh, Germany and France and Japan and a lot of other jurisdictions. The third part, which has been uh, probably the most controversial, is that there are now parts of the patent law where, where on, on remedies and how people get to assert their rights, which are just not working all that well uh, for a lot of industries. It's not just for the tech industry, but financial services are having a problem. Some retailers are having problems. Partly it's a problem of trolls, but partly it's just a problem of, of the way that people have uh, begun to look upon the patent law as an opportunity uh, to litigate. Recently, um, the, uh, the, the personal injury lawyers in, in, uh, in Texas, they put out a little magazine, and they recently put out the word that, you know, since personal injury has become less of a, of a way to, to make a business for lawyers in Texas because Texas is engaged in tort reform, 
you know, the new growth area is patent litigation. So there, there are a lot of people out there who are looking to the patent law as an opportunity to make money, people who are not necessarily deserving of protection and deserving of being able to assert their rights. But that doesn't mean it's a bad system. Ben Clemens, what would you say to Neil and Silverspine? Um, let me give you a statistic. Um, 32.6% of the software of money spent on software was spent purchasing software. Uh, the rest of the money goes to uh, hiring consultants, hiring in-house software, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, although when we think about soft- purchasing software, we think about going out and buying a box, right? We, we think about purchasing a product from somebody like Neil. Uh, but, but actually, Neil, Neil is very much in the minority. Um, most most, most uh, of the software industry consists of people who are, are working on producing software in, uh, and s- distributing software in, in different ways. Neil, for example, I, I, I don't know about, about your invention, Neil, but, but I'm guessing you are the best in, best in the world with implementing this invention. And if you, if you go up to any company, any company out there, they would be idiots to not hire you directly to, to implement this. Um, there are so many different business methods available for software. To, to, to put out a physical tool, the only way to do it is put it in a box and sell it. But, but, but Ben, you, you know this to be a fact. The vast majority of the software business is not built upon boxes sold in a store. It's really about large, massive systems that are built into data management, that are built into right, right. And those large, massive WAMU. Si- All of those consist of really hundreds, thousands of different elements Many, many of those are highly inventive and highly deserving of patents. Yeah, they're, they're, they're highly inventive, and, you know, they, they came out without patents. They, 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 were, they were designed by, you know, some guy in the basement here at WAMU who, who sat down and said, I have a problem before me, and I'm not going to call a lawyer. I'm just going to solve it. Well, and that's that, cer- is that's two, certainly that is part of the American of the tradition, interview. and it's absolutely two, right. Two-thirds of the uh, industry. Carjo? Yes, I hear you, Neil. Um, the the component that is the most offensive and really really uh, emasculates the patent law is the one that this gentleman from a gentleman from the business software alliance uh, alluded to. Uh, as our understanding of this uh, patent reform act of 2005, it would eliminate punitive damages and the ability to get an injunction. It would be almost like making uh, speeding a, uh, a, a violation, but, but uh, uh, it's a dollar for the ticket. Uh, so let, let me stop you right there, because I think, I think you're right that the law changes or would propose to change both, but not quite in the way you're thinking of it. Punitive damages now are available if somebody is proven to be um, willfully infringing. To show willfulness, all you have to be able to show is that one of your engineers had a copy of the infringed patent in his drawer. That is, frankly, too low a standard, and that creates a disincentive for your engineers to really go out and look at what it is that's available out there in the science and known in the marketplace. Because if you really do a thorough search, you're going to end up being exposed to triple damages. We think that's wrong. And, Neil, I do have to move. I'm sorry, uh, but Neil and Silver Spring, I do have to move on. But good luck to you with your process. We're discussing software patents and the law on this Tech Tuesday. If software companies end up spending millions or even billions of dollars on legal challenges, what does that mean for the consumer, Ben Clemens? Will the cost of software then go up? Uh, to some extent, it goes up. But to a great extent, it just becomes annoying. Um, to to, to give, give you the example of, of, of the, the iPod again. Um, so MP3, MP3 is a uh, patented system. Right, so so the iPod, we all call it an MP3 player. It doesn't play MP3s; it plays a, a proprietary format. And the the reason being that if uh, if iPod if the iPod were to play MP3s, it would cost a uh, dollar fifty per to the Fraunhofer Institute, and there are you know a bazillion iPods out there, so that would be one and a half bazillion dollars from uh, from Apple. So they, they figured, forget it. We'll just come up with this totally different system, and everyone's going to be annoyed by it. But uh, but then we don't have to pay the royalties. And well, I, I, I don't think anybody's annoyed by the iPod. I mean, the market acceptance of it shows that if you're innovative and you come up with a better solution, the market yeah, but, will but, love you. No, no. They, and Yeah, people love the iPod. But as, as the tech support guy for every, all of my friends, let me tell you, at some point, they're going to call me up. Market. I think <laughs> at some point, they're going to call me up and say, darn it, why can't I copy off my music? Well, as, um, as you know, the, the, the current poster boy 
for this case is the high-profile pat- battle in the <coughs> BlackBerry case. How typical is the BlackBerry suit, Emory, of other patent cases? Unfortunately, it's becoming more and more typical. And uh, really, kind of when you dissect the BlackBerry cases, you have a very, very complex technology consisting of um, multiple patented elements and only one of which is infringing. And what's happening is that the entire product becomes at risk because of one element being uh, infringing. That's typical of the tech industry. Uh, A computer program, a PC, a cell phone, all of them have dozens and dozens of patents on them. So so an interesting detail of this is that... uh uh, a couple of, a couple of researchers, Cohen, Nelson, and Walsh, Walsh they, they're academics. They they surveyed various tech industries. They surveyed, including you know, sort of traditional hardware components, and including uh, you know, more software-oriented folks. And they asked people, "Why do you patent?" And the the the, the guys in the typical complex industries, the the traditional you know, building semiconductors, they they said they patent because they wanted to protect their ideas. And the people in uh, in computing. Including software, they said they patent because they need defense because there's a game playing going on all the time, and it's it's a significant rift, and it's actually a little surprising because you know when we describe them, we can call them both oh they're complex tech tech industries period and that's it. But what we see on the ground is that the way patents are used is very different between software and hardware. Um, Emory, your take on the BlackBerry case again. Um, We talked about it earlier, and Ben was talking about, you know, here's a software code that's in Canada, and Blackberries are in use by millions and millions of Americans, and then along comes a company, one of many, that could have created this kind of software code and say, hey, it's ours, we want money. Yeah, and and, uh, actually the problem with the BlackBerry case is not that they want money, it's that they want an injunction. Uh, uh, Neil, who called before, talked about that being the second element of the Reform Act that's now pending. So there are two remedies you can get for patent infringement. One is you can get money, a license, or two, you can just stop your the, uh, the infringer from doing it. And in many cases, uh, most cases, the, the remedy of just being able to stop the other guy is the right way to go. When you run into a problem like the BlackBerry, which is broadly used, including by health workers and emergency workers and others, the injunction becomes too powerful of a tool. And uh, really that's the, the other part of the pending bill, which is to simply give judges discretion whether or not to grant injunctions based upon the fact of the particular case rather than the way the law works currently, which is that the injunction issues pretty much automatically. And that's kind of where we run into the problem with the BlackBerry, which is that injunction is pretty much automatic, which means that all of us who rely on BlackBerries uh, are potentially uh, out of luck. Here is... Patrick in Greenbelt, Maryland, on BlackBerry. Patrick, your turn. Hi, Kojo. I'm a wireless uh, person um, by experience in history, and uh, I get the BlackBerry question all the time. What's fascinating to me is knowing the wireless industry, this is almost like uh, an OJ case uh, in technology, whereas there's a lot of people with a lot of interest in scaring people not to use a product, like the Nokias and the Microsofts and the people who are really heavy hitters in the wireless world, and you got this little guy in Canada who came out with a product years ago, very successful, and he's threatening basically the domains of very powerful heavy hitters. And so every day it's like CNN and everybody broadcasting a patent infringement. And I'm, I'm a little curious because I see patent infringements in technology all the time. And although there are a lot of users, the, the actual likelihood of this happening, this thing being shut down, is so minimal, but everybody plays hardball in law. Everybody plays hardball in corporate entities, and it's just ridiculous that we get this constant barrage. And it's you know it's killing a company and an industry that is very terrific and very innovative. First, you, Emery. I I mean I absolutely agree with uh, with that person. That the uh, I mean I I I I anticipate that the case will be settled because there's frankly just too much on both sides. Uh, the scare of the BlackBerry obviously appeals to a lot of people who use BlackBerries and becomes a very near-at-hand uh, kind of uh, understandable concept. I think the underlying issue is, is, the, is the one that's really more problematic for the economy as a whole and for tech companies as a whole, which is that you really run the risk of having a pretty complex large product shut down because there's some component or element or a relatively small one um, that that is held to be infringing. And, and uh, the 
that's probably a rule that that doesn't work well for the tech industry. Ben Clemens, try to look ahead and talk about what you think the software industry will look like in a decade or so. Uh, well, the, the, there there are two roads here. Uh, one one is that that patents get stronger with time, and uh, it, let let let's say that that NTP gets its its half a billion dollars, and let's say the guys at Acacia, you know, prove prove that this is a valid business model, that suing people is the best way to make money in tech. Um, then we'll see more people coming out coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, oh, I, I have a patent on the letter Q, and um, <laughs> and the letter Q. And and if that happens, then basically it's going to be more and more difficult for for the guys in the basement to work. But Ben, yeah. that's that's so, not going to happen. I mean, in order to get a patent, you have to show that the that it's a new thing, that it's useful, and that it's not obvious to somebody. Well, to well I mean, art. I mean, you, and the reality is, there are very very few fanciful patents that are being issued. I'm not saying there aren't any. Well, first, there's such first, a small subset, and you're blowing it up into such a huge problem. Well, it, it's it's really kind of a a little bit of a distortion of the reality. First, the the best count is about two hundred thousand software patents. But they're not all bad patents. Most of those patents are very good patents and deserving patents. And second, I I think you're you're sort of forgetting a few decades of case law that basically eliminated the obviousness requirement um, or the non-obviousness requirement. At this point, what what is required to get a patent is that something not be in the literature. And, uh, uh, no, that, we, we that's, get... really, that's really kind of, a, I mean, it's, a, it's an easy way to phrase it, but it's not an accurate statement of the reality. So yeah, what, do you see in the, what do you see in the next 10 years, Emery Simon? The next 10 years, I think we're going to see an explosion in, in creativity and innovation because the patent law is working pretty well. There are problems with it, which is why things like the pending legislation are good things. But the patent law is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, motivating people like some of your callers to invest their time and energy in coming up with better mousetraps. And that's, that's what it's been doing for 200 years, and that's what it'll keep on doing. We will have to see. Emery Simon is counselor with Business Software Alliance. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Ben Clemens is guest scholar at the Brookings Institution Center on Social and Economic Dynamics. And if you're li- interested in his ideas about patents and software, you can find his book, Matthew Can't Use, Patents, Copyrights, and Software. Ben Clemens, thank you for joining us. By the way, Ben and Emery, our IT department wants to thank you for praising their creativity, but to point out to you that they are not in the basement at all. They're way upstairs in this building. (laughs) I'm Kojo Nandi.